Welcome to another edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project, an ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something canon, in which myself, Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, discuss matches that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has given five stars or higher. And not only did we get one five-star match in the Wrestling Observer from what would now be two weeks ago, we got a second five-star match. And whilst you weren't that surprised to see one involving AEW, the Young Bucks, and the Lucha Bros... Maybe this one's a bit more of a surprise for everyone involved. Although it's uh, broken at least one record, I think. I haven't done the deep research, but I'll go more into it as we talk about the match. But Simon, as always, give the fans an introduction and let them know what match it is we're talking about if they haven't been asked to read the episode title. We are off to the land of the WWE, but we are actually in the main roster, unusually. And we are talking about a let me tell you something five star talkathon mainstay, Cody Rhodes versus a debutant, a newbie, a freshie, Seth Freakin Rollins inside the red Helena cell. Some unique, unusual aspects to this match. As we've said before, it's not the first WWE match we've had to cover. For a long while. I'm just trying to look now to see when the last one... Was the last one Dragonov v. Walter? Yes. Yes, it was. But the key to that was that that was in NXT. Because the WWE had a string of five-star matches from about 2018 to 2020. Or maybe a bit before that, 2016 to 2020. But they were all in the yellow-branded NXT. This is the first, as you say, main roster, Raw and or SmackDown. We know it's Raw because of that visually wonderful red barred steel cage uh, <laughs> a hell in a cell sorry and it it's the first one on that main roster wwe on a wwe pay-per-view or premium event as you would call it since cm punk versus john cena at money in the bank 2011 yeah and that in and of itself was another massive gap between the previous one was i mean was that 1997 the Hell in a Cell between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. So this is obviously also the second ever Hell in a Cell match to be given a five-star rating too. Yep. It's just records all over the place. And another record I think this has broken. I may be wrong, but I, my brief look into it, I don't think I am. No, I don't think I am. Is that it's? I think this is the first time any wrestler has had two five-star matches in the same calendar year, wrestled in separate promotions. And we're only into June so far, but Cody Rhodes has managed in the space of half a year to wrestle in a five-star match in January, according to Dave Meltzer, against Sammy Guevara for AEW, which would be his AEW farewell match. Yep. A couple of months later, he turns up at WrestleMania and has a match with Seth Rollins that I believe Meltzer gave four and a half stars to. I might be wrong there. Mm. And I'll hold my hands up. That was the last full-length WWE match I'd watched until I watched this match (laughs) since then. What, did you just check out (laughs) mid-WrestleMania? Yeah. Fair. I I didn't have any desire to watch Roman Reigns and 
Brock Lesnar hit finisher spam again. It just mm. didn't interest me at the time, and I just had other things to do on that. Ah, day, Stone Cold Kevin Owens was good. Actually, I did watch that, so maybe I'll watch that after. Yeah. Pat McAfee was also good. <laughs> I did not watch Pat McAfee. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I saw the important thing, which was Vince McMahon's old man stun. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Well, there's a man who's injured himself several times over his years, most notably blowing out both his quads in the purposes of in-ring character work. But a man who battles through regardless is a beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed American boy, Cody, who is sporting... American Nightmare. (laughs) Who is sporting one hell of a um, boo-boo, to use an American parlance. Well, that's the thing. I I think... What was it that Dave Meltzer described this match as? Because he tweeted almost immediately after it. And I sent that tweet to you saying, I think we're going to be talking about this match for this podcast. Nostradamus Lorcan strikes again. Uh, it's not, it wasn't the biggest, you know, it wasn't the most difficult way of interpreting someone's words. I'm just scrolling through. My God, I sing you a lot of shit. And you do, <laughs> and you do as well. Yeah. This was amongst the most compelling matches in pro wrestling history. Not just WWE history or anything like that. Pro wrestling history. And I can understand where he comes from. Mm. I mean, first of all, let's, let, again, let's applaud Cody for doing something so unique. In For whatever whatever you think of Meltzer's ratings. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give the spoiler now. I didn't give the Guevara match five stars. I'm not quite going to give this match five stars either. So I wouldn't have given either of these matches five stars. To do that across two different promotions in the same year and in less than half a year. And when you're going to spend the rest of the year almost certainly on the uh, injured list. Yeah. Makes it all the more remarkable. And to do one with effectively one arm. Mm-hmm. He is. He's insane for going into that match period, as far as I'm concerned. But he's a goddamn beast for pulling off what he pulled off. <laughs> well, what I will say as well, from watching this match, watching the presentation, and reading up on it afterwards, I will also say, and it might have even been before this match, but from this match, Cody is a made man in the WWE, I think, for the rest of his time. He yeah. will forever invince his eyes be seen as someone that he can put in the main event. I honestly mm. believe that. Which is, that's not to say he will always be the main event. I'll be honest, going into it, when he signed for WWE, in that whole soap opera that was going on, I wasn't convinced it was going to work out. I wasn't convinced he wasn't going to end up playing Stardust again in like 18 months Mm. at some point. But, I think it became more obvious, especially when I watched the build-up to it in those packages. Cody Rhodes... I mean, when he was in AEW and there was the whole split crowd reaction, they were saying he's the John Cena of AEW, and I think that's what he saw himself as. Yeah. Because if you look at the patter of his promo style when they put it on that pro on that package, he talks a lot like John Cena does. Mm. And he wrestles a lot like John Cena mixed with Triple H. So no wonder Vince is going to like him. Yeah. Well, it's that whole... America never say dinus that he conveys, which is very John Cena, never give up. And obviously his Triple H fascination with the throne breaking and all that, like, you know, stuff in the past. I could, the, the healthy blend is there. Yeah, definitely. It's fascinating how much of wrestling now 
I think it's because we are culturally, this is where we get into the big highfalutin talk. We have, I mean, we were talking before we recorded this about how big a hit Top Gun Maverick, or as I like to call it, Toop Gun, has been. <laughs> it's not Swedish. <laughs> I'm cubid in <laughs> If there's a third film, I'm going to call it Twap Gun. <laughs> it, 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 how amazing it is that it's a sequel to a film from 36 years ago. Admittedly, the biggest film from 36 years ago, but still. And it wasn't intended to be 36 years. It was in, you know, they filmed all those scenes in like 2018. Mm. And I said, what would have been crazy is if that, it would have been like if the year that Top Gun came out, there was also the sequel to the biggest film from 1950 also hitting at the same time, which would have been a sequel to Samson and Delilah. Ask your grandparents. Yeah. Or, or ask your nearby priest. Just make sure you keep the door open. because it's hot outside simon and people need fresh air just gonna let that marinate where we are now is that everything's like in a swirling vortex of past present and future i mean that's even literally the wwe branding is then now forever is it now is that john cena saying it on the the quite possibly i wouldn't rule it out i wouldn't yeah it seemed like it to me we kind of in everything exists inside itself within the history of wrestling, and there's so much constantly being referred back to. You know, we never seem to have escaped the Attitude Era. Again, as we were talking about, Stone Cold Steve Austin turning up at WrestleMania 38, having retired 19 WrestleManias previously. So yeah. it would have been like someone from WrestleMania 1 turning up at WrestleMania 90. You know, it's like imagining. Well, Luke... uh, well, uh, didn't they have the gimmick Battle Royals? That technically did happen. That was WrestleMania 17. Ah, my bad. But it was played the comedy, and it was mid-card comedy acts, yeah. not, you know... So it's like, and it's like WrestleMania 30 being opened by Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock. My guess is when it's WrestleMania 40, it will be maybe Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and John Cena. Yeah. And that's reflected in this match as well, because so much of it is about Cody's past in the WWE, Cody's recent history within AEW, Seth Rollins' position within the company... But you've also got him wearing Dusty Rhodes polka dots from his run in the WWE yeah. in 1989 and 1990. And Cody Rhodes pulling out a bull rope with a mm. cowbell, which was a trademark Dusty Rhodes match from the 1980s. Or we did the Hell in a Cell, a structure within itself that has a 25-year legacy now at this point. God. And they're showing images from that match from 25 years ago in the package. Again, that would be like in in the build-up to Hell in a Cell if it had just been a steel cage match. Showing footage from a steel cage match in 1973 and expecting everyone watching it to know what it's about. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, everyone's got more um, access to a lot more stuff, haven't they? This is just, this is the world we're in, like you say. That's why we're living in this world of everything around at the same time. I mean, what's no- literally number two in the charts right now is Kate Bush. Yeah. A song from 1986. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because one of the cool things about Stranger Things is it, it gives a sense of nostalgia to people. But you know what's also crazy about Stranger Things? The guys who wrote and directed that were born in 1984. So they're too young to have experienced all this stuff the first time around. Yeah. So it's all... It's so bizarre, like, time structures. And then you look yourself in the mirror and remember you're 38. (laughs) (laughs) 
so there's just this confluence of of aspects of WWE and wrestling as a larger picture. The fact that Cody Rhodes comes out to his eight, the theme tune he came out to in AEW, called the name he was called when he left the WWE as the American Nightmare. Well, then, then it's fun, like, the other way around. Like, when they were saying they, they had the WWE Raw announced, didn't he? He said, like, he's shaking off ring rust. He hasn't been in the WWE for yeah. six years. And even Kevin Owens calling him out on how stupid that is. Yeah. But they can't also, they don't explicitly say where it is he's been, but he's obviously been somewhere. Yeah. Well, well, Kev's got that kind of, like, made, Kev's another made man at the minute, isn't he? So he gets his... Kevin's one of the few ones that kind of sees through the bullshit of the WWE and it's like his character. Yeah. That like everyone else just buys into the Ezekiel thing, but he's just like, no! no! It's Elias! <laughs> so yeah, he's almost like like a <laughs> like an existential Deadpool. <laughs> instead of a fun-loving Deadpool. But then there's the reality aspect, because everyone knows going into it that Cody tore his pectoral muscle. Yeah. And oh, was, and tendon as well. And tendon. So you know that he's going in with trouble, and then you realize the scale of it when he took off that jacket. Now, I will say, when I saw, like, an image just from a random YouTube video, and it wasn't an official one of that bruise, I thought, oh, someone's photoshopped that for clickbait purposes until Mm. I saw it, and I was like, oh, shit, no, he didn't. That is real bruising. Yeah, the WWE made good use of their uh, slow-mo camera. Uh, it came out as like a tweet, little tweet video of him taking off the jacket. And that's the first time I saw, I saw stills before then, but the first time I saw it like Im- like as a moving image prior to watching this match was when he took off that jacket. And he looks so uncomfortable, bless him. Well, yeah, you wonder how much is it even playing it up or is how much is that he genuinely couldn't move? Because like in his entrance, he didn't raise his right arm. If you look no. at it throughout it all, it's like he's holding it always in place. Yeah, and then he slides the jacket off. But then at various points in the match, he is able to lift it up at times. So how much of it is him selling? How much of it is just the adrenaline kicking him and allowing him to do that? Well, I think that's why the ma- one of the reasons the match is paced the way it is. I think it's him building up like strength again to do it again, and that resi- like in like literal strength and inner strength to raise your arm, knowing it's going to cause that much pain to you to do it again. Yeah, well, it was funny, the way that he started working at the start of the match, I thought, you could do a compelling version of this match, and part of me almost wishes they had done, that had only gone like 12 minutes. Mm. Because essentially, at that point, Cody Rhodes is the equivalent of having been worked over by the heel for the mid-portion of the match. Yeah. And like having a limb targeted. But instead of it being the usual going for the you know the knee or the arm, it's his whole right side, yeah. essentially. And you can see it. I remember that when Shawn Michaels injured his knee, like in the build-up to a Taboo Tuesday or a Cyber Sunday, and he still got voted to have the world title match against Triple H, they did a like a 12-minute sprint, basically. Yeah. Instead of what was the usual Triple H, Shawn Michaels. You know, they, they'd had that. I think it was the same year they'd had their bloated 45-minute Hell in the Cell match that we've talked about in a previous Match of the Week episode. Yeah. You could have done that, and I think it would have been believable. You know, the WWE has conditioned fans to know that there can be main events that go six, seven minutes, Mm. but it's usually involving Brock Lesnar. I was going to say, yeah, you have one specific man who does that. But... So if they'd have gone just straight into the equivalent of the finishing sequence or or just doing a condensed version of that, 
Because at the start, instead of it being the babyface flurry at the start that's showing their domination over the heel and the heel having to be underhanded to win it, instead it's Cody desperately trying to find a way to get a quick win, going for the disaster kick, going for the crossroads, keeping Seth Rollins at bay with left jabs like his dad. Yeah. You know, and then it's when Seth, and then getting him in the figure four leg lock and... Again, I always like it when they play up the, the rules of the match. So he goes for the ropes and it's not a rope break. So he just pulls himself through. Yeah. And then he's flailing around at that toolbox of you got spanners flying all over yeah. the place until he finds the kendo stick. And I guess the idea is that Seth Rollins believes that he's just going into this match and he's going to have the time of his life. Like yeah. he's coming in ego bruised, having lost at WrestleMania, having lost the follow up at WrestleMania Backlash to Cody pulling the tights. So this is him going to have fun and a way to humiliate Cody. You know, he plays it, you know, he's... He's reeking of confidence. Yeah, and he's just like he'd been able to get to Roman Reigns mentally in the Royal Rumble by wrestling in his old Shield gear. Now he wrestles in the polka dots of Dusty. Or doing it to Ray with the Halloween Havoc gear. Yeah, yeah. That was one that was less... I don't think the WWE, even the WWE realised what that was a reference to. <laughs> but with this one, it was so obvious. And what? And again, it's the extra layer on top of that because what the polka dots are supposed to represent to people that know it is the humiliation that Dusty Rose had to go through by just like Cody Rhodes unexpectedly leaving the AEW to a place where we didn't know if he was going to be treated... You know, and, and there was a whole thing about how after he'd said that his contract was expiring with AEW, WWE suddenly pulling out of negotiations was the story, and like Cody suddenly getting lowballed on the offer, and it was that sense of yeah. is Cody going to go anywhere? Will he end up going to the NWA? Is that what we're going to see? <laughs> you know, that was a genuine rumor in the build up to WrestleMania. So there was that sense of as as Cody kind of blown it with all this because you know, like mere, mere weeks before he went to WWE. He was mocking them for their hip toss classes in one of his stream of consciousness promos. <laughs> one of his homework done at the last minute promos, yeah. But that's why I wondered, though, because is was Cody in WWE still always ultimately going to be the perfect fit because he was WWE bred? I mean, he went in from the start, didn't he? I don't even know if he did anything outside of WWE before he signed up for them. I don't believe he did, no. No, he was trying to become an actor for a while. Until mm. he moved back into re- moved into wrestling as a backup, and very early on he was on the main roster too. Uh, very early into his run, yeah, well, it was tied to legacy, wasn't he? So like he, he came in like with a hot angle as well. Well, no, before then it was um, hardcore. Well, he, he went in straight away with a few with Randy because Randy brought back the Legend Killer thing and went after Dusty. Yeah, and then Cody was involved in that aspect of it. Then he teamed up with Hardcore Holly as his protege. And yes, then, that's remember it. he he was he lost he beat himself for the tag team titles. Yeah, yeah, he was the <laughs> uh, he was the, his own surprise opponent. Yeah, and then they merged into Legacy after that. Yeah, and that'll be something they'll play up to Cody's history with Randy Orton at some point in the future. Oh yeah, but yeah, so there's there's the layer of it like Seth Rollins laughing at him because it's like you know it's like making fun of, it's like the the jerk at school who makes fun of the kid whose dad's the janitor. Yeah. Like an episode of Boy Meets World or something. <laughs> There's so much over-the-top bombast to WWE, obviously. And I think that Cody fits into that more, or he's going to be able to work into it. He, he does. And also, 
in terms of if you look at just purely AW's hiring policy at the minute, he was he was in an increasingly cr- more crowded tank, and people who had li- objectively more star power and recognition were being hired. Your CM Punk's, your Brian Danielsons, and what have you. Whereas he's now gone over to WWE, and due to decision making on their part, Brock working however. Brock wants to work. The, the the top table in WWE, there's a lot of space at it. So mm. we can slide readily into that. But do the WWE think there's a lot of space in it? Or are they just happy with what they've got? Mm. I don't see them urgently pushing anyone until they really feel like it. Yeah. You get the sense... Well, it's letting, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out that they see a lot in Austin theory. Or just theory these days. Yes, now he's just theory. I don't usually complain about those things. I've never got a problem with Rusev and... Um, Cesaro. Cesaro. Those things never bothered me. Or Big E. Theory is a bit more confusing. Yeah. Theory has its own meaning. <laughs> mm. Well, like Riddle. Riddle had its own Like Matt Riddle. Yeah. Riddle. Riddle is its own word, isn't it? It's its own yeah. thing. Yeah. So Riddle and Theory... That'll be a weird. When you, if people hear that, like who are non wrestling fans, oh, who are you watching? Riddle against Theory. What? You what? What now? Yeah, it's like these two Batman villains. Exactly. <laughs> but it's a branding exercise, and I get why they do it. Simplified branding. Yeah. I actually didn't mind Riddle being just Riddle, and you know, unfortunately, the real reason they might have done it for Google search reasons is a uh, wow. You know, yeah. something we won't bother dwelling on right now. No, but um. Yeah, and Cody, well, Cody never fit into the demographic for which AEW is catered towards, which is people who are being mistreated. I think there was always a sense that Cody could have had more. Mm. But I didn't think on the online people were like, this is a crying shame that someone like Cody is not the star that he should be. Yeah. You know, I mean, Cody even acknowledged it himself that his style of wrestling doesn't always connect with an AEW crowd. Remember, he called himself the three-star general. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, well, it is a bit... It's not the super-duper indie-fied style. Well, that's the thing. And that was this clear clash of philosophies with the... When it was a sense of, is this going to be the inmates running the asylum, which is less prevalent now. Yeah. I think Cody thought he was going to have more influence than he did end up having. Mm. Or he tied him, he wrote himself into a corner because I'm with the whole world title thing because it was just this different. You know, it, it does turn out that he genuinely did want to be a babyface, it seems, and never wanted yeah. to turn heel and just play up the John Cena aspect. But the whole point of AEW was to not make the mistakes that the WWE did. Yeah. Seeing them, you know, Cody just became a source of frustration for me so much with AEW, even when he was doing good stuff. There was always that caveat, and there was always that sense. I always said that like no one was coming out of the Cody Rhodes feud looking better than they did. They would look good at one point, but when they exited it, they didn't look as great as they could have looked. The most notable of which is that Anthony Agogo feud. That was so mismanaged, it's untrue. That was just Cody saying, let me see if I can do something special with this guy who doesn't really have any wrestling back. You know, it's like, you know, back in the 70s and 80s of wrestler v boxers matches yeah. that will be but there was fun. this weird i've cured racism uh promo that whole yeah. uh weigh-in segment which wasn't really cody's fault well that's another thing it's like whatever influenced brandy Rhodes 
tried to have in AEW and gradually lost. Mm. She's not going to get a sniff of that in the WWE. No. If she's even going to be signed at all. Um, and also, just just the execution. Like, Anthony should have won the first one. It should, it should have like put him a bit more on a pedestal, really. Well, let's not talk about that match. Let's talk about this match more. Yeah. But like, the reason I'm driving at these points is because if you look at Cody's AEW run post his involvement with MJF, it it is another set of missed opportunities, in my opinion. Whereas well, now he comes back to a table where there's a lot more space, there's a lot more fresher opponents for him here mm. than there has been due to him doing his dream list and going to New Japan. He's he's done mm. a lot of good things, but now the pond he's left has this new set of fi- fish in for him to like you know wrestle. Well, I think one of the key things as well with the AEW WWE split is that one of the things that seems pretty obvious in WWE now is that there's a less questioning, frustrated fan base. Mm. Those like ourselves that would have problems with WWE, but also it was the, the it felt at times like the only show in town. Yeah. Couldn't help but air those frustrations. The, the super hardcore wrestling fans that go to WrestleMania and everything, they were going to it because WrestleMania was the only thing going. I'll be honest, if you have if you say look and you've got a choice, you can either go to a WrestleMania or you can go to an A one of the four AEW pay per views of the year. I mean, WrestleMania is the thing you knock off on your bucket list, but right now if I just wanted to know the most likely to have a good time at the shows, not just the whole everything around it. Yeah. I'd probably pick an AEW show over it. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think that those people have gone from WWE. And now you have a frankly unquestioning fan base that are set, that are doing what WWE tells them to do for the most mm. part. But I also wonder if that's a fan base that's been conditioned by that WWE thing of expecting spectacle and certain events and less caring about the characters. Because they say there's a hush going around with when Cody Rhodes takes the jacket off and it's there. Yeah. But what's the key moment that gets the crowd really amped up in this? more than anything, it seemed, is when Seth Rollins produced the table. Mm. Because they're going to get to see the table spot that you expect at every WWE show, just like you expect to see the 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 flipping... Super kick party in a Young Bucks match. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. It's like the WWE show, because they don't know about the AEW stuff, the people that are at these shows, probably, because they go to the WWE. And they want the things, they want the table spots. And my guess is they've been chanting, we want tables during the Hell in the Cell show. And they finally got it in this match because, you know, WWE usually likes to discipline these things around it mm. and more produce it. And Seth throws it in and the fans start chanting, thank you, Seth. So is it that they care who wins this match or is it that they just care to see the spectacle of the WWE production and to hell with who's in the main events? Mm. Possibly. I think possibly... With everything, all the background story, maybe maybe it was a bit telegraphed who was going to win as well? No, not at all, because you'd think logically Seth Rollins would be the one to win this match if uh, if Rhodes goes out. Because it doesn't look great for Seth Rollins now. Yeah. That he lost three matches in a row, even when he's the guy's torn his pectoral muscle. Because Rollins seems to believe in himself. I do believe that he thinks this too, that he is the standard bearer for the WWE. He's not the top star but he's the one that goes to all the shows he's the one that they rely on if no one else is around yeah now 
He's the one, you know, Roman Reigns is the guy that more than anyone else is being presented as the top guy. But Rollins is the guy who I think sees himself as the locker room leader, and he sees himself as the ace of the promotion, even if he's even when he's not the champ. Mm. Maybe in the way that Tanahashi is the true ace of the promotion, even though Okada's the champ. Yeah, like he's the standard bearer; he is the face of it, uh, or at least in a backstage capacity. And that leans into the whole: you don't get to sit on the throne that you took down with a sledgehammer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole: who's the face of the company, but also who is inheriting the mantle of Triple H, because obviously Triple H will no longer appear on screen as a wrestler anymore. Mm. Is it the guy that positioned himself as a Triple H in the in the sledgehammer? And, you know, coming in and wrestling a match whilst injured is a whole Triple H thing that he made sure everyone knew he did at least a couple of times. Yeah. And also, but then on the other hand, you got Seth Rollins, who was like the you know the, the chosen of, one, the chosen one, and then was the King Slayer. Yeah. So it's that case of it's like it's like Game of Thrones almost two warring factions, and the crown that they're fighting over is literally the sledgehammer. So again, it's another it's another layer of history and everything to it, you know. Yeah, they did do that slow crawl spot, and I think that was very much with that in mind. When, when they did that. that, that visual was there for a reason. And assumedly when they have their fourth match, when Cody returns, they will probably do a similar sort of spot again. Well, I mean, if I were a betting man, my guess is that Seth Rollins has got either the ring to himself or he's laid out everyone in the Royal Rumble. And then suddenly Cody comes out and quickly eliminates him. Or yeah. they're the final two and Cody eliminates him. Because you can't go back to that feud again. You know, unless Cody is just coming back for WrestleMania, and then you can run the rematch if you want. Mm. Um, I mean, th- my friend who's also into wrestling uh, asks, keeps asking me if you think if I if I think Cody's going to be the one to beat Roman Reigns. I mean, I I've always been convinced that they're holding off and holding off because they want to do Reigns Rock. Yeah, and until they know they can't do that, they're going to keep Reigns strong for as long as possible. But if Rock's not doing WrestleMania 39, it seems like there's no more logical match to go with than Rose Reigns. I mean, we were talking about this. The WWE announced that he'll be out for nine months, and literally everyone was just like, okay, so that means that really means six months, and he's turning up at the Royal Rumble because he's doing the John Cena uh, in 2008 oh, number 30 absolutely. spots. Literally the same injury, I think it was, wasn't it? The torn pectoral muscle. The difference being that time, John Cena returned in like three months, the freak of nature. Oh, well, he's just an absolute beast that man and again to go back to this match i mean yes they work it as safe style cody doesn't do anything inherently dangerous but i i I guess they have the visual of the peck that they could work on in a safe way but also like you're already injured any single bump could exacerbate anything so well i think that's that sense of you can't you can't make it any worse so let's just do it i mean you know they they do do some risky spots. I mean, I thought it was interesting because they did the, when they did the table spots, the first one it was teased of Seth suplexing him onto it. Then Cody escapes and goes for a power bomb, and yeah. Seth escapes that. But you, so that I think they they always know what are people expecting from us, and so people are expecting it to be that Cody will have to be protected with this table spot. Mm. And so that's why the first time Cody's not even part of the bump, Seth takes it all on himself, going yeah. through it with a missed uh, splash, which c- 
cuts his elbow up, I noticed, because the table itself broke in a different way to those tables usually do. It sort of shatters slightly into three pieces. And there did... seems to be some sort of lining on it that made me think it looked a bit different as well. It had been like, set up a bit different. Well, yeah, you could see the glue mm. uh, on it. Um, that's that's the lining that I sort of like noticed. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that was the glue being a bit different to usual. Sort of like all the visible thing that Cody had on his back before he'd do the flaming table spot. Yeah, yeah, Andrade. Exactly. Yeah. And they do do another table spot um, afterwards where Rollins does powerbomb him through the table. Mm. So that is that surprise. Um, wow, the, that's the move in WWE canon. That, like, you know, killed Sting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. And, he, you know, when he's got the kendo stick, he's literally pressing it into the bruise of Cody. Yeah. Although you can visibly see he's holding back on it, you know, if you if you bother looking into it. But, you know, just as a visual, it does its job anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so much in it. There's so much history and everything. And I do think it goes on... I mean, it only goes 24 minutes, which is relatively short for a Hell in a Cell match. Or any WWE main event that isn't Lesnar-based. Yeah, they, they love the storytelling. I mean, this is WWE peak, you know, every, let's lean into everything, let's play everything up, let's go for super dramatic stakes, let's use props and visual symbolism. Yeah. You know, he, he wears the polka dots, he brings out the polka dot weightlifting belt, let's just hit you over the head with every bit of symbolism that we've got. Oh, yeah. Um, let's milk it for all drama. Let's do multiple finishes and kickouts. You know, I mean, how many crossroads does Cody hit? They both go for pedigrees. That, you know, <laughs> four. Seth hits. Seth hits a stomp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it's a sledgehammer shot to end it all. So it's excess, but I do think. It's as good as that excess does. And I do wonder if because of what Cody's situation, that forced them to slow down in a way. And so if it didn't have that and they had this exact match, would we care nearly as much? No, I don't think we do. And also because it's an injury that's so visible as well with the bruising, if it had been that he was coming in with a bad knee or, you Mm. know, I guess the closest equivalent to this match where everyone's just worried for the safety of the other person involved would have been WrestleMania 19's Kurt Angle-Brock Lesnar match. Yeah, where, where we all knew that Kurt Angle's neck was hanging by a thread, essentially, but he was still taking suplex bumps throughout the match. You can imagine um, sort of Daniel Bryan's return match in that tag match against uh, Kevin and Sammy. It's, it's... Shawn Michaels' return at SummerSlam 2002 when, yep. he's, when he takes like backbreakers onto chairs, and I was like screaming in fear at that moment, and then you mm. realise, oh, he wasn't actually that bad at all. <laughs> yeah. They made the best out of the situation, and I personally think that if this injury wasn't there, that the match wouldn't be as... It would have been a different sort of match, and maybe not as good. But again, I wonder, it's like, do, do the average... And this isn't, a, this isn't meant as a derogatory point. I'm not making this as a derogatory point. I... You know, I'm not saying I'm the right kind of fan because I get every single thing that's being referenced here. I'm not saying that. But it's just, what what does an average WWE fan think of that? What what do they think when they see the bull rope and the cowbell? Mm. That means nothing to... I mean, there's probably a lot of people that know that Dusty Rose was in the WCW NWA days that wouldn't know that the, the bull rope match was really more something he did in the late 70s, early 80s. I don't think he had any ball rope matches with Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, it's what the 
again, the commentators do a good job of linking it. Yes, but that's to the on... Again, I'm saying the fans in the arena that are just cheering for a table. Mm. And that's the fan base that WWE's cultivated. And it's a fan base that they literally show in action replays now. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know if they were doing that because they were playing off of the concern the audience had for the injury. Uh, most of the time, the fans just had goofy grins on their faces. Yeah, because it didn't work. It didn't play out. If that's what they wanted to do, it didn't play out how the, the crowd didn't play their role in that sense. Well, that's not the fans' fault. No, but they're not... Well, yeah. It's the fan base that WWE have cultivated that doesn't have those yeah. AEW fans. I thought there was a very interesting thing I read of someone that attended a WWE show and an AEW show at the same venue quite near each other. And one of the things he said that I thought... That made me feel a bit sad, really, was that the WWE's fan base was a lot more diverse. Diverse in ages, diverse in genders, and I guess ethnically diverse as well. Mm. And as, you know, two white males <laughs> in their 30s, one closer to the end of it than the other one by quite a distance. Yep. That makes me wonder so much of like, it's all about me, isn't it? Oh, and to be fair, these are two white men in their thirties as well on in in the ring that are big nerds for all this stuff too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Seth Rollins was a big indie nerd like me when he was when he was going up, and it's kind of weird that he was the guy that becomes like the WWE's main sort of defender of the faith on Twitter and getting himself into little spats. Yeah. Little cul-de-sacs of, you're not going to get out of this one. Yeah. Good, mate. <laughs> I mean, I've always said to you, what do you think? I, I think it's something I've said on this podcast already. What do you think is going to happen? What's more likely to happen? Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins or Tyler Black versus John Moxley? A Tyler Black in AEW, if just for a short period of time, where he can really go... I mean, he goes crazy anyway. You know, he does yeah. do multiple toe pays and everything in the WWE, but... That Tyler Black in AEW is something I'd be very intrigued to see. Oh, God, yeah. I don't know if it will happen, though. He seems very happy where he is. Like I said, he, I think he thinks of himself as the standard bearer that has the best matches in WWE and mm-hmm. goes that extra length. Like Triple H saw himself, even when it was John Cena that was the champ. I think it was Triple H that saw himself as the gold standard. Mm. And again, as this being that battle for the Triple H role yeah, is, is funny as well. But I would like to see it at some point. I remember one of the things I tweeted, actually, when Cody left, was Cody hasn't wrestled his last match for AEW. Now no. I think maybe he has. Uh... I wouldn't be surprised if he's a WWE lifer at this point. The thing with professional wrestling is you can never say never, can you? No, of course you can't. Of course you can't. And obviously there's the whole thing. I mean, Cody is still an active character on AEW television. Yeah. Because <laughs> MJF will name drop him pretty much every time until the bidding war of 2024 does or doesn't happen. Well, you know I mean? yeah. We're in this weird world now. <laughs> I mean, we always were, but it's even weirder because they're actually addressing it on TV. Yeah, well, the, it's been more, brought more into the light now that they've had their first effectee. So I think for all the things that I have problems with WWE, the over-the-topness, you know, like... Seth Rollins, I think, almost has gone beyond it to... Yeah. You know that Vince said, yeah, play up that cackle. So that's like, yeah, I'm going to just do this every single time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like his, his costumes are so ridiculous, it's gone over the other end. So it's kind of gone all the way back around to being ironically amusing. I don't know, you can't win, really, yeah. can you? 
I mean, I, I didn't know. Again, this is another sign of how little WWE I watch. I didn't know that the fans sing along to Rollins' entrance music. No, is I didn't know that. Is that a new thing? It's relatively new. Because then he's saying, oh, they used to sing my entrance music. I was like, did they? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's sort of like, like I, I think I alluded to this when we're having like a pre-record chat. He is sort of like in a perma overstate. He is like Randy Orton is now in WWE. It doesn't matter what he does. Fans like him because he's delivered so much in terms of moments for them. He seems almost macho man-esque in many ways, Rollins, now, in that he is like, he's he's mad. Yeah. He genuinely has gone mad. Yeah. <laughs> and he has this different v- vision of reality to what the rest of us have. And, and as you say, Becky Lynch is somewhat leaning into that as well. Although she maybe is being hit harder by reality than Rollins is. Rollins like yeah. is sinking further and further into his own psychosis. You know, as started with his heel turn after his like leader of the troops non pep talk after they <laughs> lost to the Survivor series. Such a good such a good in in such a short space of time yeah. turning himself heel after he'd been the purest of the pure baby faces to slay the beast. Yeah. You know, because he's a big old Game of Thrones nerd. And again, they probably see, like, the sledgehammer to them is the Iron Throne. Oh, quite possibly, yeah. Uh, no, I don't doubt that they were saying, yeah, this is like our f- us fighting over the Iron Throne. You'd probably <laughs> say it. Because I remember he did, like, a thing with um, Xavier Woods and Cesaro and I think Seamus maybe mm. where they were watching game of thrones and and doing it on a up up down down i assume oh, okay so they, well, you know well he was you know seth Rollins is a huge game of thrones nerd you just need to see it in his entrance costumes around that time he's done it period. for two wrestlemanias effectively he's played a white walker in that triple threat match with uh finn and the miz and he did do the jamie lannister kingslayer like thing he came out all in gold yeah, with the Beast Slayer and the King Slayer as his nicknames at that time as well. So, yeah. Yeah. There's so much that's good. And and it's like, I ne- and, and to go with Game of Thrones, I never thought Game of Thrones was the best show on TV. Even when it was at its peak, it had things I didn't like and I saw issues with it. And so when it did make that terrible falling quality <laughs> in the last season and a half or you so. You could say nosedive. It was a nosedive. More than just a fall. Yeah, I didn't feel as betrayed as everyone else seemed to. Mm. I hadn't cashed all my chips in on Game of Thrones, so I was able to appreciate what I always enjoyed about it. Yeah. And that's kind of similar to where I look at with WWE now, and I think, again, because AEW's there, and that now takes the brunt of our, oh, but you should have done this. This would have made it brilliant. And, you know... And now it's like, but but weirdly, I think there's still more of an optimism around it because most people, well, I don't know. Actually, in the last couple of weeks, it feels like a lot of fans are seeing AEW make more missteps than they, I mean, the whole introduction of the All-Atlantic Championship mm. seems to have been a complete wet fart. Like, everyone was expecting the trio's title, not this thing. Well, yeah. I, I think when you initially sent me that, because um, you sent me a tweet alluding to a new title, and I thought it'd be the trio's title. What this thing, like, the they need to clear out or sort out exactly what's happening with Ring of Honor for a start. That needs to... It's too cluttered. It's too cluttered at the minute. Well, I mean, we should save this for another episode because this has almost become a state of the union of wrestling. But that well, kind of is... that. This was a battle of, like, what is... 
Cody Rhodes' treatment with WWE has really changed things. Apparently, like, the story is a lot more AEW talent is a lot more receptive to going to WWE than maybe the people already thought. Yeah. How much reality there is behind the MJF thing, we don't know yet, and we'll never, probably never know. MJF is like this... I just finished watching the Jim Carrey talking about how an insufferable prick he was in the name of method acting Yeah. Uh, in the Andy Kaufman thing, but there is something almost Kaufman-esque in MJF's behaviour. He is trying to be the true heel of wrestling. Yeah. And he figures he's going to have to be a heel in reality to get that, to keep getting that response. I don't agree with the whole calling Tony Khan a mark. Mm. That's just, I don't like worked shoots. But it seems like even if it's not worked shoots, if you know this stuff like we do, you can't not see these layers. Yeah. (laughs) You know? As, As we were saying with the whole polka dots thing. What the fuck is a 10-year-old thinking when he sees Seth Rollins come out in polka dots and then fighting over a cowbell? Well, I'm sure like, there's been clips of Dusty. With a cowbell? Not with the cowbell, the polka dots, yeah. But then, you know, why is he dressing like the other guy's dad and, like, make, you know, he doesn't get the humiliation aspect to it. Mm. And he won't until he becomes smart into wrestling. And yeah. feel sorry for that kid when that happens. It's like finding out, you know, there's <laughs> no fun uh, Christmas. Wow. Or, or, or realizing that the you know Jack Grealish doesn't actually want to play for Aston Villa. <laughs> you need to let that go, Lorcan. It's over. <laughs> I still, you know, I will say I think that they get it with the character aspects. Like he produces the bull rope and basically challenge. It's like a challenge to Seth Rollins' manhood. Yeah, for him to put the strap on and then he gets his ass kicked and then he goes outside and re, you know, gets con- control again and then gets rid of the bull rope. It was weird. They had like a mini match within a match in that moment. <laughs> it was strange. They put a hat on the hat. Corey makes a great line when Seth puts the uh, bull rope around his wrist. It's like, well, Seth's ego won't won't allow him to like reject this. <laughs> so again, there's so much good within it and there's so much craziness within it. Because of that, I can't give this match five stars. But I'll say this. I preferred it over Young Bucks Lucha Bros. So I would probably go four and a quarter to four and a half. Probably four and a half. I have gone back and forth in my head on this one. Uh, And I'm in gun to my head time now. So purely first thought, best thought, because I have argued both sides of the coin in my own head. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say five stars. Can I ask you this, though? If they did this exact same match and Cody Rhodes didn't have a massive bruise all over the half of his, you know, right side of his body, would you give it five stars? No, but um, the fact remains is they wouldn't have done that match if they didn't have this bruise. They're making the best of a bad situation. You're playing with the cards you've been dealt. Yeah, and that's... You say this uh, line a lot. In fantasy booking, no one ever gets injured. Well, you're not in fantasy booking. You're in the real world. And considering the real world handicaps that they had to deliver what they did, in my mind alone, it's five star, not necessarily because of the content, but because of the circumstances surrounding it. Mm. And what they managed to achieve in those specific circumstances. If if, If I was to say like pound for pound or comparatively to other matches I've given five stars. No, but viewing it in its own little Petri dish, yes. You have to judge a film by what it's trying to be, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can't get, you can't get angry at Minions 2 because it doesn't say something about the human condition like an Ingmar Bergman film. <laughs> but you can dislike Minions 2 because the jokes aren't that funny. Yeah. 
Now I really want to see a Minions film, like with a human message. Directed by Mar Bergman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they kind of sound like they're speaking Swedish already. <laughs> <laughs> you get it all in this podcast, don't you? Wrestling, State of the Nation, cultural discussions, um, Minions references with Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> and as always, cheeky digs at Tories. <laughs> mm. And at each other. That's true. <laughs> so... For our next episode, assuming there have not been any five-star matches in the two issues in between, we don't know yet. I mean, Dominion's just happened by the time we're recording this to give things away. You know, we, we don't yet know. We have a significant chance of seeing Chris Jericho as a bold man, so... Yeah, we've got um, the Hardy Boys and the Young Bucks and Jurassic Express doing a match with ladders. Mm. And good lord, we've got Forbidden Door just down the road as well. Oh, God. Melts are seeing matches involving New Japan and all or AEW talent. My God, we might explode in stars. <laughs> <laughs> but if we don't have anything other than that, we will finally get around to giving you the Gail Kim versus Awesome Kong match that you've waited even longer than you know. If we'd have kept our recording schedule, you would have actually got that in an appropriate space of time. We remember we have to. Be, we're supposed to be comparing this to those Alundra Blaze Bull Meccano matches, Simon. So keep that in your head as well. <laughs> yes, you might need to do a lot of rewatching. But in, if that's not the case, then you'll know ahead of us if there've been more five star matches, and there'll be one of those. But until then, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, to give some more uh, examples of Swedish animated films that have a, a comedic element to it, but do say something about the human condition. How can they do so? It's not, over, not a lot of overlap on that Venn diagram. You can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of finishing strikes it took to take down Seth Rollins, including the sledgehammer. My name is Lorca Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for American N for Nightmare. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you want to help us get our Ingmar Bergman box set that will really help us understand the human condition and as a result be even better critics of professionalized wrestling matches, then by all means, get yourself onto our Patreon and add yourself to the donations. That's patreon.com slash lmtyspod. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something about the human condition. And about topless men play fighting. (laughs) Have a five-star time. Until the next time.